that get going in three, two, one. Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today we'll be breaking down some key strength of schedule takeaways with a focus on the first quarter of the season. I understand a lot of times, you know, we talk about strength of schedule, uh, you know, in the context of an entire 16-game season, and, you know, things change throughout the year. So I think right now the most actionable way to look at this important metric is just to focus on mainly that first month of the season. So brought on a very sharp guy to do so. Very pleased to welcome on a co-worker of mine, data analyst and writer for PFF, Kent Wyrock. Kent, how's it going, man? Hey, it's going good, Ian. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. Glad to be here. You've had some banger guests recently, so uh, I, I definitely feel honored to get the invite on to uh, your brand new show here for this season. Yeah, bro. Another banger guest. Make sure you listen to uh, the Tuesday episode featuring Adam Levitan if you haven't already. But yes, today, strength of schedule season. PFF actually just launched a strength of schedule fantasy football tool. Kent and I have published articles kind of using different things uh, with the tool over the past few weeks. And it's the only tool of its kind on the market that actually factors in PFF player grades into its methodology. And, you know, I know there's some haters out there with our player grades, but look, in this context specifically, very useful because this helps us better account for roster turnover right now and then throughout the season when injuries pop up. I mean, we know the Cardinals had the worst tight end defense known to man last year. You know, when you draft a little someone named Isaiah Simmons, things are going to change. And, you know, we can we won't don't want to treat them quite as bad as they were in 2019. So, without further ado, we're going to be going position by position, highlighting some of our respective favorite plays. Kent, I'll have you start, man, with your top quarterback strength of schedule guy you want to talk about. Yeah, so it's going to be Josh Allen, and uh, he can be kind of a divisive guy when it comes to fantasy. I mean, it, mostly the difference is between NFL quarterback and fantasy quarterback, and we know that he performs as a fantasy uh, quarterback. He's you know uses his legs awesome. And I just want to highlight real quick that from 2018 to 2019, he actually did have some passing improvement uh, in passing grade, adjusted completion percentage. Uh, he had a faster time to throw, and he even brought down his average depth of target a little bit, which you know might sound bad, but I think he was just bombing it a little bit too often that first season, and he's kind of gotten a little bit safer uh, in regards to that. So, uh, you know, the the Buffalo Bills brought in Stephon Diggs. He was the 20th best graded wide receiver last year uh, among wide receivers with at least 50 targets. So should be helping out with that passing offense. We know we, that he does it on the ground. You know, he had 109 rushing attempts last year, 510 yards, nine rushing touchdowns. Uh, those are good for second, third, and first best among quarterbacks. So, he, you know, he uses his legs. He gets those fantasy points. He has a high fantasy floor, uh, something that I've touched on before. Uh, I like to look for floor players in some different um, types of scoring formats. So uh, he's definitely a guy who has that. And he's coming out hot with a pretty nice early season. Uh, he's going to open at home against the Jets, who have just lost Jamal Adams. So uh, things are looking a little bit easier there. Then he goes to Miami to play the Dolphins, and then he gets the Rams back at home. So these first three games, and I know we're looking at the first month, but definitely those first three games uh, are really solid uh, games for Josh Allen. Should open up very strong uh, with this uh, better passing group. And, you know, these these first three matches are all rated 8.2 and above in our grading system in the strength of uh, schedule tools. So definitely looking forward to Josh Allen coming out real hot in 2020. Yeah, the week four game against the Raiders, I don't think people should be too afraid, uh, scared yeah. off of as well. But, sure. dude, the rushing floor and upside, I don't – people know Josh Allen runs. I don't think they understand just how, like – historically relevant he has been as a rusher. I mean, through 28 career games, we have Mr. Michael Vick, who some of you have probably heard of, 184 rushes, 
1,321 rushing yards, 10 rushing scores. Josh Allen in his 28 career games, 198 carries, 1,141 rushing yards, 17 rushing touchdowns. I mean, the rushing floor is literally out of this world. Now, the interesting thing with Josh Allen, again, I, I want to focus on the first month here, but man, you go, first four weeks are great. First half of the year really is, isn't bad at all, but after the Bills week 11 bye, he gets the Chargers, the 49ers, the Steelers, the Broncos, the Patriots. Can't, this seems like a situation where, you know, be happy you get a fun September, maybe a fun October, but probably a prime sell high candidate come uh, November. Yeah, I absolutely I touched on that in the quarterback uh, version of the strength uh, schedule article series. So uh, definitely agree with you. He's a trade candidate. Once you get that hot start, um, people are going to be buying him high, and then he might crumble by the end of the season. That's definitely within the realm of possibility. That's all right. We just, we just need some stars. And that, that's, that leads me to my next guy, Tyrod Taylor. And this is another situation where, look, I'm not certain Tyrod's going to be giving you, you know, QB1 performances in December. But September, October? I think so. We got the Bengals, Chiefs, Panthers to start. Now, after that, it's road trips versus the Saint Buccaneers and Saints. Not the easiest matchups. He can still do his thing. Originally, this worried me because, you know, rookie quarterbacks, we've seen 17 of 20 top 10 QBs, you know, drafted, start at least 10 games as a rookie since 2010. Every now and then they get the year off. I know they've been talking up Tyrod as, a, you know, more than a bridge starter, but usually you see a rookie's get in there. That versus Buccan at Buccaneers at Saints worried me, but it's a short week going into Jets, Dolphins, Jaguars, Raiders before they're by. More and more we're hearing the Chargers, and it's it's been the whole offseason, really. Anthony Lynn, you know, former coach with the Bills, they're talking up Tyrod as a legit starter. And I know the Hugh Jackson era went bad for him, but who has who the Hugh Jackson era gone well for anyone, I mean, at this point? I'm willing to write off the last time we saw Tyrod. He's been with the Chargers now two years. It's not like they just brought him in this offseason. So he is the incumbent Best quarterback on this roster. Sneaky, wildly talented supporting cast. And, I mean, look, the guy was QB 8 in fantasy points per game in 2015, QB 7 in 2016. Like Josh Allen, the rushing floor is there. Can, am I wildly high on Tyrod Taylor, or is the rest of the industry, they, they got to get their shit together? No, I, I think it's okay to be high on him early in the season, and, I, and you know, the schedule kind of supports that. Um, you know, you do have a question of when is Herbert going to come in and kind of take the reins, if at all. You know, he might not this first year, but uh, whenever, you know, a guy like Tyrod starts to struggle in the middle of a season, uh, depending on how the Chargers end up doing win-loss-wise, uh, they might look to the future and say, okay, we want to get Herbert in there, get some reps, uh, get his feet a little bit wet before we can get a real full offseason, hopefully speaking, uh, next year, uh, before Herbert gets the entire offense to himself. So you do have that in the back of your mind. Uh, maybe there's a stretch later in the year where they play the Bills and then the Patriots and you're like okay Tyrod might not make it through there uh, and then that's maybe when Herbert starts to take over this team but other than that early in the year Tyrod is a uh, full go and he's and he's super cheap right now so totally worth it yeah I, I had a home draft with the buddies this weekend you know I got Joe Burrow who I'm, I'm riding high with as a rookie QB1 this year but Joe Burrow you know Daniel Jones we'll talk more about these guys in a second but brutal first month so at a minimum like, Tyrod is just not being drafted in so many leagues at this point. Don't be afraid to get that dude in the last round and just set yourself up with a nice QB for that first month at a minimum. All right, now some quick honorable mentions. Uh, Kent, who's another quarterback that just has a very easy first month of the year? Uh, I'm looking at Kyler Murray. Uh, his opening game is actually kind of tough. It's at the 49ers, which, as we know, they're a ball control uh, running team. And so that one might not be so hot. But after that, he gets Washington. Uh, and then the Lions, he goes over to Carolina to play the Panthers. And then the Jets. So a nice four-game series 
after that first week. So that's why he's more of an honorable mention. I don't think that's the most prime star you could have. But uh, Kyler Murray's looking for a big second year here uh, with the addition of DeAndre Hopkins to the offense. So looking looking for a good year, too. Yeah, I'm looking at Jimmy G, and I know uh, the guy – we all remember him missing Emmanuel Sanders and that, you know, deep ball in the Super Bowl. I'm not saying Jimmy G is going to be a world beater this year, but man, starting off Cardinals, Jets, Giants, Eagles. I wouldn't be shocked if we see a little more passing from Sam Fran this season, too. I mean, I think last year made it out. People are kind of have their short term memory with Kyle Shanahan just, you know, running the heck out of the ball. But let's not forget what Matt Ryan did in his second year, you know, with Kyle Shanahan there, too. And Jimmy G was coming off the torn ACL last year. Only Lamar Jackson had more games with at least four passing touchdowns than Garoppolo last season. Underrated ceiling, and in these first four matchups particularly, he'll have the floor to boot, too. All right, Kent, uh, honorable mention, hardest first month of the season. Yeah, unfortunately, this is going to be Deshaun Watson. It sucks because I really love Deshaun Watson. He's he's very exciting to play uh, to watch play. But uh, he opens up on the road against the Chiefs, then gets the Ravens at home, the Steelers in Pittsburgh, and then back home again against the Vikings. Just a brutal first month. Uh, there are some questions if the Vikings, you know, with their secondary turnover, are going to be as good as they have been. But uh, I think overall, the schedule is still really scary for Deshaun Watson, who just lost his best weapon. Yeah, I'm looking at Daniel Jones and his start, and he's got the Steelers, Bears, 49ers, and Rams. Absolutely brutal. Now, I've been talking about these Giants and Texans, wide receivers in particular, all offseason because they're all being priced as wide receiver threes, but at some point, someone's going to kind of take the lead and probably give you more, something closer to wide receiver, wide, wide receiver one, wide receiver two value. Probably won't be this first month of the season, but man, like this is a situation where you know Watson, the Giants aren't doing much, aren't doing much in September. Don't be afraid to try to buy some of those wide receivers, you know, after a tough first month because we know they got the talent. It's just a very tough first start for them. So, all right, moving on to running back, Kent. Tell me about Mark Ingram and the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, Mark Ingram, I feel like is just disrespected every year somehow. I mean, he never has has made it really into the upper echelons in terms of uh, the running back discussion of who the first-tier guys are, but he is just so un- in- incredibly reliable. The five of the last six seasons, he's had 1,100 or more scrimmage yards, and he's averaged 9.8 touchdowns. That's absolutely unreal. Uh, and he's on this Ravens offense now starting last year. Uh, they were first in rush attempts and first in explosive run plays. So not only are they running a lot, but they're running really well. Anyone who watched the Ravens can honestly tell you that. But uh, just to see it numerically speaking, it's still just absurd. They had 98 more rushing attempts than the second place team, which was the 49ers, who ran a lot too. So it's like, you know, early in the year, they're, they're going to be playing against the Browns, the Texans, the Chiefs, and then Washington. That's four teams that definitely they have – a very strong potential of just running the ball straight down their mouths. And even the Chiefs, you know, they might get ahead, but last year they were a bottom-five team against the run. They, they'll just give up the run and protect against the pass. So uh, that's also going to be a high-scoring affair. I, I think it's fair for those who think that J.K. Dobbins is going to be the long-term asset uh, in Baltimore, but these first four weeks, especially with this really weird offseason, uh, shortened camps, no, uh, no uh, voluntary camps and stuff like that, it's going to be Mark Ingram out of the gate, and so you're going to get a, a, a month straight of really hot production from him, and uh, I'm, I'm definitely fine taking it. He's like going in like the, the fifth or sixth round. I'd have to look again, but uh, he's such a value there to get you a good start to your season and set you up to make the playoffs. It's a really good point about the Chiefs defense and how they almost willingly give up the run to uh, load up the pass. We see that with the Ravens, the Patriots. I think sometimes, in the, in the Bills, honestly, too, we misinterpret sometimes these defenses that are great defenses and they just, you know, 
open like they have an open mind about putting more guys in coverage versus the run. I mean, just because a team is giving up a lot of rushing yards does not mean they're a bad defense. Now, in this case, Browns, Texans, Chiefs, Washington, even on the Bengals week five, I think we're seeing more bad defenses than, you know, alleged bad run defenses here. Just something to be careful of uh, moving on. But yeah, man, I was more high on J.K. Dobbins, I think, once he got drafted than I am now after looking at it. A really interesting stat from uh, J.J. Zacharias and a.k.a. everyone's favorite late round QB truther. But the only RBs in NFL history with at least 100 rushes and averaging five yards per carry in both of their first two seasons are Barry Sanders, Clinton Portis, Nick Chubb, and Gus the Bus Edwards. Yeah. So it's, there's a scenario where Dobbins, he gets Edwards carries, he gets Justice Hill's, you know, targets and a handful of touches per game, and he makes it a, you know, fantasy-friendly two-back committee. But can't, it seems more than likely we're going to see three backs in Baltimore for at least the first half of the season. Very possible. But luckily they run so much that that might work out for all three of them. That's that's the bonus there. But, uh, yeah, I definitely agree with you. It's, it's going to be interesting to watch those first few weeks and see how those touches play out to see whether a, a first-year breakout for J.K. Dobbins is in the books. Another situation where we got all sorts of running backs involved, the Patriots. We, we usually don't have a clue what's going on with their pecking order in the backfield this year, especially so. They're starting off the season, though, with the Dolphins, the Seahawks, who have both rebuilt their secondaries, but they're still looking pretty weak in the front seven, the Raiders, and the Chiefs. Now, this might be a little more what I was talking about uh, before, where maybe, you know, above average, potentially above average defenses that, you know, are just stronger against the pass and the run. But either way, I think we're going to see a much more run-heavy version of the Patriots. We just got to try to figure out who is going to be the lead guy. We got Sony Michelle now dealing with a foot injury in addition to these chronic knee issues. There's a very real chance Damian Harris is the lead guy. Of course, we got, you know, old man Lamar Miller now coming back in. I think Rex Burkhead is going to play his usual kind of compliment role, and James White will be the pass down guy. Cam's going to vulture stuff. I mean, dude, it's, it's very tough to figure out here in New England, but I cannot think of a, you know, just box score I'm going to be rushing too faster after week one to try to see these snap counts because yes there's a chance where we see all these dudes playing 25 30 percent but I think someone is going to rise to the top and be this early down guy assuming Sony is banged up and not ready to be that I'm still kind of leaning towards Damian Harris I mean for them to use that draft capital on him and you know I know he didn't do anything last year but it would just be shocking if they never gave this guy a true chance to seize that role do you have any leans on this Patriots backfield right now Boy, it's tough if, if, you know, I don't even want to like lay down a bet. I'm so unsure about what's going to happen. But I think Damien Harris is probably the best bet among them. Uh, if you're going to bet on maybe who's going to lead in scrimmage yards or touches by the end of the season, I, I think he's probably the best bet. He was very successful in college, um, and I think that can translate. He just didn't really get the opportunity uh, his first year. So that would probably be my bet as well. But uh, like you, I'm just going to sit back and let kind of the, the, you know, the chips fall where they may on this one. Uh, you know, I might end up without the lead back on the Patriots this year, and that's okay because, you know, it could be uh, divvied up pretty evenly, like you were saying as well. So there might just be no winner, unfortunately. Yeah, I find myself staying away from Sony and James White alike, honestly, kind of at their respective ADPs right now. But, you know, when Damian is virtually free, again, not a bad guy, like Tyrod, take a shot on late in the drafts. Use him in September if he's able to. And if not, it didn't really cost you a high draft pick anyway. So, all right, Kent, honorable mention, running back, easiest first month. Yeah, we're going to go with Joe Mixon. And obviously, you know, he's a first-round guy, maybe second round, depending on your format. But 
uh, very early there. Uh, he gets the Chargers at home, the Browns, and then the Eagles both on the road, and then the Jaguars, uh, the putrid Jaguars back at home. So uh, I'm sure that all of these matchups are going to be just fine for him. He's going to have no sweat getting off to an early start here. Uh, nothing too tough right away. And, you know, this whole offense with Joe, Joe Burrow in the mix and A.J. Green coming back, this could be a very exciting offense, especially if their defense struggles. You know, they could be uh, trying to play catch up a whole lot. And luckily, Mixon is still very involved in the passing game as well. So uh, I'm very excited to see what this Bengals team can put on the field this year. Good call there. I'm looking at the Dolphins, and they're starting with the Patriots, Bills, Jaguars, which, you know, that, <laughs> Jaguars and Panthers were so bad last year on run D. Like, that's why the, a bunch of these guys are popping up with them in their first four weeks, and the Seahawks as well. But, you know, I talked about this uh, in that aforementioned Tuesday pod with Adam Levitan. Coaches love Jordan Howard, people. I mean, he has already gotten three different coaching staffs, and if you just, you know, extrapolate his per-game production last season, two 16 games, would have been the third different coaching staff to give him at over 225 touches in a single season. Matt Breida's good, too, but I think it's going to be a two-back committee, and I would, you know, bet a decent amount of money that Jordan Howard will lead the Miami Dolphins in touches, has a very good chance to run away with that role in September. All right, Kent, who's who's someone we should look out for because they have a hard first month? Uh, Melvin Gordon, and you know, we already don't really know exactly how those touches are going to play out because Philip Lindsay, we've seen him be very productive on a per touch basis. Uh, Melvin Gordon has been a very reliable guy. He gets a lot of touches and produces that way, but uh, he's going to be opening the year against the Titans at home, Steelers on the road, Buccaneers at home, and then on the road for two more games, he's got the Jets and the Patriots. So, uh, pretty tough after that first week, and uh, I'm, I'm not too excited about him in general, and seeing that opening schedule makes me think that someone is going to ha- struggle to have him in their starting lineup come week three or four. Yeah, Steelers, Bucks, and Jets were last season's top three defenses in DVOA against the run. Brutal stretch. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at Saquon Barkley and the Giants, and look, you start Saquon Barkley every single week. I don't care if there's a fire. That dude needs to be in your starting lineup. But they start with the Steelers, the Bears, the 49ers, and the Rams. I mean, it's just a situation like we are talking about with Daniel Jones and these wide receivers before. It's going to be a rough September for the New York Giants offense. You know, we still got the talent there. Don't be afraid to buy back in after people lose faith after those first four tough weeks. All right, moving on to wide receiver. Guess who we're sticking with? The New York Giants. Talk to me about them, Kent. Yeah, so this is, like like you're saying, it's pretty bad look for the uh, Giants coming this first month of the year. Uh, and I just wanted to get this out there that the entire receiving core should pretty much be avoided in uh, most redraft leagues. I think all three of their main receivers are probably going to be waiver wire guys uh, very early in the year. You know, last year among wide receivers with 50 targets, uh, we're talking about Sterling Shepard was the 34th graded wide receiver golden tate was 38th and darius slayton was 47th we don't have a lot of positivity when it comes to receiving targets uh not named evan engram anyway uh for the uh, new york giants so this i think i put in the article is the worst four game stretch opening the year for any position group uh when i was looking at the the strength of schedule tool and kind of mapping out who has the best or worst starts. This is the worst start of any position group. Uh, Steelers at the Bears, home against the 49ers, and then two more road games, the Rams and the Cowboys. We're talking about five games in a row that are all just terrible matchups. Um, So I'm not very excited about any Giants wide receiver. You know, Darius Slayton, I think a lot of people are projecting a second-year breakout uh, because he, you know, honestly had a very good rookie campaign. Uh, He was a fifth-round guy in the draft. He kind of had some... You know, question marks, but uh, definitely was able to come through on the field and produce for them last season. 
but uh, I'm not really looking forward to that uh, early in the year. It might come later, but uh, I'm not I'm not going to be expecting it right away. I think he's going to end up being too low a volume. Uh, you're relying on Daniel Jones, who you know, take him for what it was. He, his passing game needs to improve a little bit more as well. Uh, yeah, this it's a tough stretch for these guys, and I, I don't want to touch any of them. Yeah, unfortunately, we have a really weird sample size with the Giants. We didn't have a single game last year with Daniel Jones under center and each of Tate, Shepard, Ingram, Slayton, and Saquon all healthy. But, you know, I did look at all the targets per game just individually. One Jones is under center. We had Tate at 8.4, Shepard at 8.3. Evan Ingram is right there at 7.7. Man, it's always just been can this dude be healthy? When he is healthy, he is a top five tight end. I understand mm-hmm. redrafts. We don't want to, you know, use a really high pick on this dude. But particularly in these tough matchups, man, this could be a prime, you know, Gets sleeper DFS option that people just aren't going to have enough ownership to because they're afraid of the matchups. But Evan Ingram, man, if there's such thing as just a matchup-proof beast tight end, I think he's it. Yeah, for sure. So uh, he would probably be the only guy, and obviously Saquon Barkley, but we, we don't even need to really touch on that. He's going to be okay. <laughs> but uh, he's probably the only guy, Evan Ingram, that I would even bother drafting outside of that. All right, I want to talk about the Bears wide receivers right now, and it's really the big two. We have Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller, who was getting hyped up by some local beat writers, I mean, which is good to see. I know it's off-season, you know, just reports and this and that. Shouldn't put too much into it, but, you know, with Miller, one of the problems has just seemingly been, you know, whether or not the coaches trust him to go out there, know the playbook, all that stuff. So when you are hearing that the dude's got, you know, a new mindset, really motivated going out there and doing his thing, I'm happy to hear it because Taylor Gabriel is gone. They brought in Ted Ginn. To me, this is a sign that, you know, Ginn is going to be much more of just a true field stretcher than Gabriel was. Gabriel is their legit number two receiver. I think Ginn is going to take a backseat to Miller this year. We saw Miller seven touchdowns as a rookie, even with a bump shoulder. Uh, weeks, I think, 11 through 15 last year, this guy was legit a top 12 wide receiver in fantasy once Gabriel went out. You know, it's it's unfair to assume the guy's going to produce the best four or five week stretch of his career for an entire season, but clearly we have a lot of talent here with Miller in. Good God, man, this start. Lions, Giants, Falcons, Colts, Buccaneers, Panthers. And with all due respect to Jeffrey Okuda and James Bradbury, who's now on the Giants, there just aren't really any cornerbacks we need to be worried about, particularly for Tony Miller, who should be manning the slot a lot of the time. I think Allen Robinson is one of the top five, six talents in the league at the wide receiver position. He had the third most targets in the entire NFL last season. I'm not worried about him. You know, you're drafting him as a top 10 receiver regardless of what's going on, but cannot stress enough how high I am on Anthony Miller. Kent, D.D. Westbrook had a top 30 ADP last season because we all couldn't stop talking about Nick Foles' historical slot, uh, you know, distribution. Miller is still going on in the radar, man. Am I crazy or are you high on Tony Miller too? No, I, I love him, and I, I've kind of been waiting for it, and, and it should hit eventually, right? It's just got to hit eventually. But uh, I think he's just had struggle with uh, the situation, the passing offense he's been a part of, similar to how Allen Robinson has just never been part of a truly elite passing offense. You know, uh, back in uh, Jacksonville, he had a garbage time, King, uh, Blake Bortles, and then beyond then it's just been Trubisky, basically. So uh, I want to see both of these guys get some decent – quarterback play so they can both just shine because I know that their profiles are ready for a breakout I mean Alvin Robinson obviously has already broken out but I think he's capable of being a top five guy no lie I uh, like I'm very excited for both of them rising third year wide receiver with a history of balling out whose offense just lost a key top three wide receiver no I'm not talking about Calvin Ridley everyone it's Anthony Miller Anthony Miller go get him in your drafts all right honorable mention easiest Kent tell me about the Ravens 
Uh, yeah. So Marquise Brown, I, I don't know why he's being drafted as low as he is. He should be at least in the wide receiver two territory. And I think I saw uh, last I looked, he was wide receiver 28 or something like that, depending on where you're drafting. But uh, he opens up against the Browns, Texans, Chiefs, uh, Washington, and then the Bengals. So we're talking four or five pretty good matchups. The Chiefs, uh, like we talked about earlier, locked down wide receivers pretty well. But uh, that Ravens versus Chiefs game is going to be just so much fun to watch. I think there's going to be a ton of scoring that uh, it doesn't really matter that much. But uh, Marquise Brown, he should be drafted way higher than he currently is. He was, you know, pretty electric in his first year, but struggled a little bit with injuries. And obviously, this is a run-first offense. Uh, we'll see how much that holds up. I know I talked about it a lot with Mark Ingram, but if there is any room for regression uh, back towards a passing offense, Marquise Brown is going to definitely benefit from that the first month. Cannot wait to watch Hollywood get out there without screwing his foot this time around for sure. I'm looking at the 49ers. I mentioned this earlier with Jimmy G, but we got the Cardinals, Jets, Giants, Eagles. Without Debo, I mean, this could potentially lead to some really good run for Brandon Ayuk, Jalen Hurd, Kendrick Bourne. I'm not so in the Bourne as much, but Ayuk and Hurd, man. Ayuk was, you know, Shanahan, self-pronounced, number one wide receiver in the draft. I think coaches might say this after they draft a guy, whether he was or wasn't. Who cares? The first thing you're going to read in any scouting report about this guy is how much of a yak monster he is, and we've seen what Shanahan's been able to do with Debo, with Kittle. The guy knows how to get ballers with the ball in their hands on that offense and make up make good things happen. So I think Ayuk's going to be in two wide receiver sets to start the season. Could definitely have a good first month. And don't sleep on Jalen Hurd either. You know, college running back, wide receiver. But, I mean, this guy, we were expecting the ball out last year, I think even over Debo, particularly after this strong uh, preseason he had. So once again, I mean, these are late-round picks. Don't, feel, don't, don't be afraid to take a dart particularly for this first month of the season. Kent, why should we be a little worried about the Chiefs wide receivers to start the season? Yeah, so worried may, might not be the the right word because obviously Tyreek Hill you're not really worried about. Uh, even Travis Kelsey you're not worried about. He's a tight end but still part of that receiving core. Uh, the top end guys you're not really worried. But you know maybe Miko Hardman, maybe Sammy Watkins, you, if you had maybe an opportunity to play them as a wide receiver three, Maybe you think about not doing it because they open against the Texans, the Chargers, the Ravens, and the Patriots. Uh, definitely three really hard matchups and then probably one other mediocre one. So maybe we're looking at just slightly less opportunity than we do at some of those big boom games we expect out of the Chiefs. Uh, I mentioned this in the article that either has already dropped or will be dropping today on the wide receivers, uh, is that these offense, or excuse me, these defenses uh, were all top six in uh, the least amount of explosive passing plays allowed, which is definitely something that the Chiefs specialize in. So if any, there's a time you're going to sit these other two uh, receiving guys on this court, that's, this is the time to do it. It's that first month. Yeah, Chargers, Ravens, Patriots need to be in anyone's top five secondaries in the league, if not the top three outright. I'm going back to Texans here. We mentioned it with Watson, but Chiefs, Ravens, Steelers, Vikings to start. Do not be afraid to buy if they start September slow. You know, we got Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks. A lot of you are out there saying they're going to get hurt. I mean, Deshaun Watson is going to put up numbers. You know, I truly believe this guy is a top five QB with or without Nuke Hopkins. They gave Randall Cobb $19 million in guaranteed dollars, all right? He is going so late. You know, I'm fine chasing the upside with Fuller and Cooks. Again, they're being priced as wide receiver threes. If we get 16 games, they could legit give you wide receiver one upside. But even beyond that, Cobb, to a lesser extent, Kenny Stills, if they start slow, don't be afraid to pounce. All right, tight end. Kent, I like this pick, man. Tell me about Dawson Knox. 
Yeah, so I even thought about not doing it because it's pretty deep in the tool shed. But uh, Dawson Knox is someone who... The, the more I started to peel back the curtain, the more I liked his opportunity for a second-year breakout. I know a lot of people are hesitant to grab tight ends before their third or fourth year, uh, depending on who they are. Uh, but this guy is someone who has come from kind of a weird background. So he was actually a wide receiver slash quarterback in high school, and then he was a walk-on fullback at Ole Miss. Uh, didn't really get a whole lot of college production until his uh, sophomore, junior year. Um, and then he came into the NFL and immediately outproduced his entire college resume. So in 2019, he still had a kind of a rough year. Nine drops on catchable passes. Uh, he had a 55.3 grade, which was pretty bad. The third lowest tight end in the, uh, in the NFL with 50 targets. So I'm not sounding so good now, but if we dial right into the second half of the season, if we go weeks 8 to 17, uh, when he really started getting his groove, he averaged 70% of the offensive snaps versus 58% early in the year. Uh, he had only four drops in his last 10 games versus five in his first six. So really started to improve there. Uh, his average depth of target was 10.1 yards, which was six best among uh, tight ends last year and something that we've shown to be fairly predictive of fantasy output later on in their careers. Uh, he had 13.9 yards per perception, uh, excuse me, yards per reception, which was good for third. And then uh, yards after the catch per reception, he was 5.3. So that's good for 12th. All, all very solid numbers for a profile that's ready to break out. Uh, he worked this offseason on jugs. I went and found some narrative stuff just to get me going a little bit more. He's been working on jugs. He even went and worked out with George Kittle uh, this offseason and Josh Allen over in California. I don't know if you remember last season. There was actually one highlight play for Dawson Knox. He had a 49-yard reception against the Bengals where he stiff-armed one dude, and then he trucks another and goes on down uh, until he runs out of bounds. And it was shades. I'm not going to say just like, but shades of George Kittle. He's definitely got a similar type of profile to him, and I think if if he's going to break out, uh, this is a good year for it. He's starting against the Jets, the Dolphins, the Rams. Uh, those are all three 9.4 and above matchups uh, in our strength of schedule tools. So he could jump out the gates early. Like I said, this offense is looking to improve. I think they have the opportunity to. Uh, and he should have a little bit more room for separation with Diggs uh, kind of taking the top off the defense. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember that play against the Bengals. This dude was flashing almost on a weekly basis. The drops were there. Didn't have any, like, monster games or anything like that. But almost every single Bills game you watched, Knox either had some awesome, yak, spectacular play, made a great catch, or, you know, he was just out there throwing great blocks. I mean, there were a couple plays where Isaiah McKenzie just got to pretty much walk into the uh, end zone because Knox was taking on one, even two guys sometimes. Mm -hmm. So I'm with you, man. And Knox is the, one of these guys where, okay, if you're in a one tight end, 10, 12 person league, you're not going to start him. I get that. But, you know, tight end premium, any of these other types of leagues where, you know, you, you have more than one tight end or anything like that, do not be afraid to take him at the end of these drafts because unlike a lot of guys, he is going to be the full-time guy in Buffalo playing 75-80% snaps. And, you know, some of these matchups, particularly the Dolphins and uh, Rams to start the year, those could be a little tougher for Diggs, Smokey, and, you know, Beasley on the outside. Definitely cool with chasing Knox in that tight end spot. I'm switching over to the Cowboys and Blake Jarwin. So start there. got Rams, Falcons, Seahawks, Browns. Even after that, man, Giants, Cardinals, Washington, Eagles, Blake Jarwin's season all, all the way here, man. We got Dak's most efficient receivers and adjusted yards per attempt in his career are Bryce Butler, Amari Cooper, and number three, Blake Jarwin. Truly 
just like he just brings a different dimension to this offense. And Cowboy fans have seen it, particularly against the New York Giants. He seems to score every single time they play those guys. But true seam stretching ability, and he's got good hands in contested situations as well. But they can do different things with him that just Jason Witten was not bringing to the table. I mean, you know, guy. Hall of Fame career, you know, I know, I know we like to trash him for a Monday Night Football thing. I like making fun of him for that latest Raiders picture where he looks like such a hardo. I mean, I, I, hope, <laughs> I hope Witten kills it this year. Like, why not? But Blake Jarwin, this is exciting. And I understand it's a crowded offense, but Jason Witten and Randall Cobb had 83 targets last season. I know CeeDee Lamb, you know, could feasibly flirt with triple digits himself, and that would kind of hurt Jarwin. But, man, if we, if we want to target – you know, tight ends and that more down the low range. Like, give me Jarwin over these Ian Thomases of the world because at least we know the Cowboys' offense is going to be stupid legit. Yeah, those Cowboys, they, they had one of the most uh, vacated targets on their team. I did an article on that a couple weeks ago. So, definitely with you there. Jarwin uh, ready to break out. Old man Witten's out of the way. Uh, I think he's he's full bore, ready to go. Yeah. All right, Kent, tell me about some of these honorable mention guys that have the easiest start in the season. Yeah, so this is – I'm going to kind of go a little bit different than what we've been doing. But Kittle, George Kittle, Mark Andrews, and Zach Ertz, three of the four, I would say, top tight ends going off the boards right now. They have the second, third, and fifth easiest starting schedules among all tight ends. So what I want to say is basically if you are maybe you know getting to that second round and you're hesitant, like I don't want to get tight end this early. I want to wait, uh, grab one of the running backs, wide receivers, you know, get a good core going – don't be afraid to get one of these top guys and dominate right out the gates. Give your you know your flyer running backs or wide receivers a little bit more time to break out uh, after a month or so. You are going to dominate if you take Kittle, Andrews, or Ertz in, in your drafts this year. Like, Don't hesitate. It's totally fine in the second round to take them. Maybe the third for Ertz, but uh, there's plenty of targets to go around for these guys. Yeah, these guys are not only their team's number one tight end, they're their team's number one pass game option. Kittle is sixth in the NFL in total receiving yards at any position over the last two years. Mark Andrews is extending. Ertz is the only one I'm a little lower on. I mean, for him to have 60 targets after their buy and for Goddard to be at 55, not ideal. But, I mean, again, it'd be a little bit shocking if Ertz doesn't finish with, you know, more than 120 targets again. So, I'm with you, dude, all three of these dudes. I, you know, I've usually been drawn line after Andrews, but, you know, sure. if, you have, if you have Ertz on your team, like, you should feel pretty good about getting top five season-long production at the position. All right, who's, hit, who's getting hit hard in uh, month one? Uh, I'm going to go with Janu Smith, and it's unfortunate because I, I, I have him on a few teams ready for a breakout year as well, but uh, it might take a little bit to get going. He starts against the Broncos on the road. He gets the Jags at home, Vikings on the road, and then Steelers and the Bills. So those are some real tough secondaries he's going to have to be dealing with. Uh, you know, Maybe he gets some lineback coverage, and that could you know support maybe uh, a little bit of uh, mismatch situations for them. But uh, if we're going to see Ryan Tannehill come out and perform like he did at the end of last season, you might not need to be worried. But I think a lot of people are expecting a little bit of regression from his ridiculous numbers to finish 2019. Uh, Johnny Smith should have a good campaign this coming year in 2020, but it's it's probably going to be a pretty slow start. PFF database going back to 2010. George Kittle, number one in Yak among tight ends. Johnny, number two, man. He had that like 60-yard run where they just put him as the back in an eye formation and gave him a toss. I wish they would just scheme this dude up a few more touches per game, but I guess when you got Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown, that can be a little hard to do sometimes. Yeah, just tough first month for him. Maybe he overcomes it with that beastliness, but we'll be working hard to do so. All right, man, that's going to do it. hope everyone enjoyed those. Kent, tell the people what uh, you got coming up here article-wise. 
Yeah, so I just, like I said, I just dropped the wide receiver uh, article today in the Strength of Schedule series, and then next week we're going to have the tight end one uh, to wrap that up. And then beyond that, I don't know, man. I, I, I got to start thinking about what my next article is after that. But uh, uh, you could definitely go check out my Vacated Targets article, my uh, Look at Variance and Best Ball article. I've been doing some fun stuff, playing with the PFF data, uh, trying to pull out some sneaky trends and situations that can help you with your drafts this year. So uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kent Weirach, and that's spelled K-E-N-T-W-E-Y-R-A-U-C-H. It's super German. So uh, if you don't spell it the right way the first time, I wouldn't blame you for a second. Awesome, man. Yes, everyone follow Kent. That's Kent Wyrock on Twitter. Thank you again for coming on, bro. And thank you all for listening. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Ian Harditz. That's Kent. Take care, everyone. Peace.